Hey, thanks for joining us here on the House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about the house, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download the house app. Come on, come on. Are you ready? Are you ready? That was not, that was a golf clap. Come on, are y'all ready? Come on, ready for the word. That's good. That's good. Well, I am excited. Uh, Pastor John and Linnell, um, Katie grew up in Texarkana, and they were the, her pastors, uh, and so we have known them forever. Uh, Katie, uh, they did such a good job that I decided to take one of their members off their hands. Come on. For life, and so um, we we love them. Uh, they have um, spoken wisdom, um, challenged us, loved us, helped us. We they they have sown into this church. I just want you to know, and so um, they are one of our overseers. And I just want you guys to help me give a huge house welcome to Pastor John and Lady Glenelg. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Let me. I want to say something before he goes. You know, Pastor and I both serve on our board of directors at Church on the Rock International. So you're not just a local independent church. You're a part of a network of pastors that look out for each other, hold one another accountable. But I just wanted to personally say to you how proud I am of you and your wife because you have done what few people in America could do, starting a church in an apartment, going to two lease buildings, ending up here. I mean, look what the Lord has done. And I just, I just want to honor you. I don't think I could, could have done that. You know, and of course, he's a very ambitious man. You know that, and, but it's a proper ambition. It's not just, it's a kingdom ambition. It's not just, you know, to, to make myself a name or to make myself a ministry or to make money or whatever, but it's a kingdom ambition, and uh, uh, that's a good thing. Uh, I have known him for a long time. He's an honest man. He believes the Bible. He's a godly man, and the future, I, I, I just look for tremendous things to happen here at the house. I'm very proud of you. I love you. Was that everything you wanted me to say? I'm just, I'm just teasing. I will give a preacher fib every once in a while, and that was one. Well, listen, I consider it an honor to be here. Uh, I didn't think I was going to be able to make it. Thursday night, I almost ended up in the emergency room. And uh, I've not told many people. I told the first service. But, you know, I, I, I'm 66. I know I don't look it. I'll tell you right now, man, he looks young. Yeah. So, but you, you still feel this. I can get on the roof and clean out the gutters. Come on. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a man. I can do things. I can. So I decided I kind of got a wild hair. I thought I'd ride a horse. <laughs> and I don't do that a lot, but I mean, you know, opportunity presented itself and I got on. And, you know, at first, it's a little, you put your feet in the stirrups and you feel kind of secure. But when that baby gets moving, how many know? You, you, before, you may even want to hold on to the saddle horn. Well, when he really got rocking, going fast, I'm ashamed to say this, but I fell off. <laughs> My foot got hung in the stirrup. So here I am, I bounce, I'm bouncing like that, thinking, oh, gosh, I'm going to have to go to the emergency rooms, and I'm yelling, help, help, somebody help me, help somebody's there. Thank God the manager of the Dollar General heard me and came and unplugged the machine. So I am okay, uh, the, but got my feelings hurt because she took all my quarters and wouldn't let me ride the elephant or the merry-go-round, but 
Anyway, that's another preacher fib, so that's my last one, okay? If you've got your Bibles, turn Proverbs to with me to Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3. Proverbs 24, 3. And I want to make a statement. What I will do today is, is I will interact a bit with some cultural... I will interact a bit with... with uh, we even got a little short, funny video clip. But I'm a Bible kind of guy. And what I mean by that is I believe the Bible is the literal word of God. I believe the Bible is inerrant, which means without error. I believe the Bible property and properly interpreted should guide our lives. The scripture says of itself, all scripture is inspired by God, and it's profitable to give us teaching instruction on right and wrong. Now, our culture teaches us that I as an individual can determine right and wrong. But, but, but as a Christian, I look to the Bible as the source of truth. And the reason I say that is because I want to encourage you to think about your own view of the Bible. Because when I view it as God's Word, I'll read it, I'll apply it, I'll recognize that it's not just enough to hear it, but I'm supposed to do it. And I think that is the, the starting place for a strong spiritual life headed in the right direction is not only the belief, but the activation of the Bible as the Word of God. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. All right, let's jump in. Proverbs 24, 3. It takes wisdom to have a good family, and it takes understanding to make it strong. So how many want to have a good family? Everybody in the room wants to have a good family. Some of you wouldn't raise your hand, though, no matter what I said. But everybody wants a good family. And the key here is wisdom and understanding. The question is, where do I get it from? Do I get it from Tuesday morning at 11 TV? Do I get it from the sociology teacher at the university? Or do I get it from God's Word? And I want to suggest to you that this wisdom and understanding for a good, strong family that all of us want to have, those people that are around your table at Thanksgiving and Christmas, those that live in your home, you want it to be a happy place, a strong place. You want it to be longevity in terms of being together and not a throwaway kind of thing. So uh, uh, your pastor has asked me to speak today uh, on marriage. And what I want to do is I want to give you four biblical principles. Listen, it's going to ha help you have a happy, fulfilling and Christ-honoring marriage. Happy, fulfilling, and Christ-honoring. It's what every person wants that says, I do. Now, listen, I'm not leaving you single people out because if you're single here, listen, one day, more than likely, you're going to get married particularly you that are young. You, you, you want some guidance of, you know, what kind of guy am I looking for? Is the first thing I want a red sports car and the second thing I want is a big house? Or what am I looking for in a godly man? But listen, if you have been divorced or if you're a widower, I, I want to encourage you, don't let the devil bring you back to that place of shame or condemnation. Come on now. How many know when Jesus forgives us and we've let go of the past, we're moving ahead to a bright tomorrow? So I think this will benefit all of us. If you say, I'll never get married again, you can still help people with what I'm going to teach you today that are in marriage, maybe people that are in a trouble or crisis or whatever. But I want to, if I've called the message a happy home, and I first want to begin with what I'm calling God's design for marriage. Now, in the beginning, Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. There is a creation Hence, there must be a creator, and not only did he create... Listen, you did, and I did not evolve from a single-celled organism. 
we did not evolve from an ape. God created the first man, Adam, and took dust and breathed into his body the breath of life. So God is a designer, and he has a design for marriage. And let me read to you what it is. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Genesis, the book of beginnings. The Lord said, and this was after God had created Adam and after he'd created the animals, you know, in the world as we, as we know it. Notice what it says. It's not good that man should be alone. And conversely, it's not good for a woman to be alone. There is a need there. I will make him a helper that's fit for him. Or another translation says, a companion that's just right for him. Now think about that. Just right for them. Emotionally, physically, sexually, uh, uh, spiritually, God wants to have someone that is just right for us. So we have then the first uh, use of anesthesia. Uh, God put Adam to sleep. He took a rib that he took to man, made him into a woman. Now look at verse 23. Adam woke up and he looked over at this naked woman. (laughs) And and he said, whoa, man. (laughs) He said, woman, okay, lighten up a little bit, okay. She said, woman, she was taken out of man, verse 24. Now, here's the verse that I want to focus on because this is a verse that is quoted not only in Genesis by the creator or from the creator. Jesus quoted it, and Paul the apostle quoted it in the New Testament. He said this, for a man, a biological man, shall leave his father and mother. Here's your nuclear family. He'll hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One flesh is the picture of sexual intercourse intended both for pleasure but also to bring children into the world. And that was God's design for family. Uh, Marriage designed by God, a biological male, a biological female. And listen, God's intent for your marriage and mine is that it be a lifelong commitment and not one of those that, oh, God, I can't, I'm married and I can't get out because I'm a Christian and the preacher said. I'm not talking about one of those. I'm talking about some place that you can have happiness and fulfillment. How many know God would never tell us anything that was bad for us? Every instruction that God gives properly interpreted in terms of the time frame, Old Testament, New Testament, you know, situation, properly interpreted. Everything God tells us is good and it's for a purpose. And he would never say anything to hurt you. Uh, And it's the place that God, uh, you know, where well-adjusted kids are raised. They need a mom and they need a father. Much research to back this up. Well, listen, our culture thinks differently on this. And I'm not intended to bash the culture today. It's not my intent to make more arguments for biological man and woman, but simply to say this is what the Bible teaches, and we get to choose whether we believe the Bible is God's word and follow it or not, and, that, and, that, and that's our choice. But that's kind of God's design. Now, let me get into these four principles. If you're wondering what the other chair is for, what you're going to find is some of these principles you're going to go, yeah, amen, and, and, and some of them you're going to just go, That's why I'm asking my wife to sit in this chair and help me on the hard points. But anyway, I think you're going to get a blessing out of it. Let's talk first about the word commitment. Commitment is the glue that holds us together. How many have ever got your fingers stuck together with super glue? Yeah, it's just kind of that, you know, you're not, you weren't supposed to, but, but, but it's commitment. Commitment is rare in our culture. I don't know the exact uh, uh, n- n- number that current research reveals, but when I was younger, 
it was not unheard of for a person to work at one company for their entire life. It was not unheard of for a lifetime commitment. Today, people change jobs like we change cell phones. I am continually, I bet I've asked my secretary three times in the last six months, when's our new cell phones coming out? I mean, when do you know, when's the contract renew? Because mine's doing some kind of thing. So we're just, we're just used to things that flip, whether it's jobs or, or, or maybe we, we, we play on a ball team and we're super good and they treat us right and, you know, I mean, they honor us and, you know, the whole bit. But a better ball team comes along and they offer us something Thing. I don't know what it is. Maybe they've got free whatever. After the game, they give free pizza, and we say, well, I'll play for you because of the free pizza. Commitment is lacking in our general world. But a commitment, this is why marriage is so serious and should never be taken, in, taken lightly. This idea you see in Hollywood movies where, you know, this, guy see, this girl sees this guy and he's driving a, a red sports car. Oh, no, he's driving a Ford truck, okay, uh, four-wheel drive. And, and uh, uh, I mean, he's the man for her. He's got this house, and she likes the rock look and everything, and he's the guy for me, and we fell in love, and we got married in a month. Well, as Forrest Gump would say, as stupid is, as stupid does. Because the truck's got a big note on it. Come on now. The house may have foundation problems. You know, you just, it's a different world. But commitment by definition is a vow or a pledge to act in a certain way. It's something we've obligated ourselves to do. And typically, of course, you can be married in front of the justice of the peace, and it's just legal paperwork. But as a Christian, typically we're married in a church or there's some religious setting about the ceremony, but we make our vows not only to our spouse, but we make our vows to God. And these are promises, they're commitments. Uh, I made a vow 40 years ago. My wife and I just celebrated our 40th anniversary. Yep. Yep. I was 16 when we got married. Um, there's another preacher fib. I told you I wouldn't do that. Um, but we said, as long as love shall last. No, that's what current culture says. We says uh, that we committed to you for the rest of our life until death do us part. But there is a cultural kind of feel, you know, open marriage and just live together and all that. There is a feel in our world today that if you, uh, you don't like it, you just get out of it. But we made a vow. And that, that has staying power to it. And here's the deal. Marriage, I don't care your best marriage, is up and down. I mean, you've got times where, you know, the husband's doing great and the wife's, you know, I don't know what. She's depressed. She's discouraged. She doesn't like her job. She doesn't want to cook anymore. And then you have the husband who's tired of having to take the garbage out and, you know, the list is long. And he wants to go, he wants to go moose hunting more and whatever the case is. But you've got ups and downs. Well, it's the commitment that keeps you there and get to the other side. You see, you've got an advantage as a Christian. And I want you to envision this, a triangle. And the top of the triangle is Jesus Christ. And here's the husband and here's the wife. Well, I don't care how close you are, there are still things that, you know, separate you, divide you, you don't like, discourage you. There's still things. But guess what? There's steps up this triangle. And the closer you get to Jesus, your daily devotion time, you're reading your Bible, your prayer life, what's going to happen? You're going you're to come closer to one another. 
You know, when you, when you pray, the Lord's going to prompt you towards forgiveness or towards acceptance in your, in your spouse. So this commitment to God is a powerful, uh, to our spouse and, and to God is powerful. Um, have you heard of no-fault divorce? No-fault divorce is what we've had. It started in California in the 70s. But no-fault divorce basically says you burn the omelet, I'm out of here. Uh, you know, it's a little more complicated than that, but it's very simple. In some cases, you just sign the papers, the judge signs them, and it's no big deal. But you're fortunate in Arkansas, you have what's called the option of a covenant marriage. And in a covenant marriage, three, only three states, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Arizona. But in, if you decide to go into covenant marriage, you agree that you're going to get pre-marriage counseling when you get your license. You agree that, you're not, that you would only divorce for limited reasons, and you set a higher standard, and you may say, I don't know, preacher, that, that, that sounds like, what if I'm not happy? This is the point. <laughs> and it's not the point to punish you, but it's the point to you spend some time and make a, if you're going to be married to somebody the rest of your life, get to know them a little while. I mean, I got the shock of my life. My wife and I dated for a long time, but when, when we got married, but when we were dating, she'd have a breath mint in her mouth every time we'd go out. It was called certs back then. And, 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 and we'd have them in our mouth, and when we got married, she quit putting them in her mouth in the morning. So what am I saying? You got two hours to get ready for your date. You are prime. But in real, in real life, you're not always prime. But what you want to know is you want to know what's behind the prime makeup look. And I don't just mean the way her face looks without makeup. I mean, what values does this guy have? Is he lazy? Is he a hard worker? You know, does he have violent tendencies? Is he really serious about God or is he just coming to church so he could get me? So take some time to get married before you commit. And that covenant marriage is a good thing. Now, I found something interesting uh, since the 1960s. It's been a long time, but it's been popular in America just to live together. It's called cohabitation, And it makes sense. You try somebody out to see if you like them. I mean, it can say makes sense. Well, it does make sense. They just try something out. I mean, you know, you don't just, you don't just buy a car. I mean, if you're going to spend $60,000 for a car, you don't just see a picture on the Internet and buy it. You go to a dealer, you drive that car, you read about the warranty, you talk to people, you research it. You know, marriage is the same way. But we think if we just live together. Well, let me give you some research done by Focus on the Family, which is one of the premier uh, family-oriented groups in America. And this is a rare uh, research. This is not just opinion. What they found out was is that if you cohabit or just live with someone, it's correlated with a greater likelihood of unhappiness and domestic violence. Women are more likely to be abused by a, a boyfriend than a husband, and children are more likely to be abused by their mother's boyfriend than by their her husband or their dad now that's just bare research what you say well i'm in the house today and we're living together are you trying to make me feel bad no i would say just like i'd say in my church you are welcome here this church loves as i've seen loves everybody i don't care the color of your skin how many tattoos you have or don't have or whether you're you know whatever how many know we're all sinners in the sight of god 
We, when we come out in these doors, we share something in common. We have agreed to go. We're sinners in the sight of God. We need a Savior. So what I would say, first of all, no condemnation to you, but if I was living with someone, I would a couple weeks and have some real honest conversation about do we want to make a commitment to live with each other. If I did, I would separate from that person for a season. I'd get some good biblical counseling, and then I'd have the biggest, best church wedding I could afford, and the church would celebrate with you. Come on now. Somebody give the Lord a big hand. All right. Now, here, here, here's where we go. Let me give you the first biblical principle was commitment. Here's the second, and what Paul told husbands. Now, the Bible is not a marriage handbook. Uh, the Bible's not a parenting handbook, but what the Bible is, is if you will become a better Christian, you'll be a better husband. If you become a better Christian, you'll be a better child, you'll be a better wife, you'll be a better business partner. There's just something about the Bible that keeps us on the narrow path of life, the path that not only works spiritually, but works in other ways as well. So Paul, though, wrote the longest section on family in the New Testament. Uh, and he wrote to marriages, uh, 12 to 13 verses. He wrote three verses to children, how they should re relate as a young child and then as an older child. You remember, obey your parents, and then older, they honor, we honor our parents. And then he gave one verse to a father. So, so he, the Bible doesn't say that much, but when Paul, see, this book of Ephesians was not about correcting problems. It's like the book of Corinthians. So he wasn't trying to straighten out the church. He was trying to give them some principles, foundational biblical principles that would help them no matter in the state of their marriage. Well, I, I found five in this short passage, and I'm going to give them to you. Um, the first one is what Paul said to husbands. He said, husbands, love your wife. Okay, that's Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives. Now, here's the part I don't like. Say it with me. Just as... Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. See, when I do this, I'm not scratching my ear. I want you to tell me what's on the screen because it's typically a Bible verse. Well, who wants to give up your life for somebody? Not me. I have a problem. I am selfish. <laughs> but listen, guys, you're supposed to love your wife like Jesus on the cross wash their feet, come on now, before crucifixion, and, he, and we're supposed to love our wives in that same spirit. Now, I know I can't tell you what it means, but I want my wife to come on up here, and she's going to tell us, husbands, how we are supposed to love our wives like Jesus did. I'm not touching this with a 10-foot pole. Well... I want to talk to you about what love is not, and I want to give a better word to describe what love is. So we say, we love ice cream, we love baseball, and we love our wives. And we cheapen the word by using love. So I'm going to use the word cherish. Let me give you the definition of cherish. It means to treat with affection and tenderness to treasure, to appreciate, to nurture, and to protect. Husbands, when you truly love your wife, that's what it looks like. 
You're cherishing her. She's valuable. She's precious. You need to learn your wife's love language. Don't just try to love her the way you want to be loved. You've got to love her the way she receives love. Is it tender touch and embrace? And I'm not talking about a sexual touch. I'm talking about a affectionate, kind, tender, not because you're wanting something, but just because you want her to feel loved. Words of affirmation. Tell her she's beautiful. Even on a day with no makeup, without her hair done, not all dressed up. Because beauty comes from more than just outward appearance. It's what's in the heart. Tell her that you love that she's kind or compassionate. Tell her you're proud of her. Uninterrupted time. Husbands, when you spend time with your wife, put your phone away. Turn the game off. Make eye contact with your wife. And listen, don't just try to fix her. She's not sharing her heart with you so that you can fix it. She just wants someone to listen to her. And you know, if the Holy Spirit gives you something to say, find the right time to say it because it may not be in that moment. In that moment, she just needs to be loved and held, prayed for, and appreciated. How about sex? Uh, this is a G-rated service, so we're not going there today. Um, acts of service. You can wash her car. <laughs> you can do the dishes. Put away your clothes. Oh, novel idea. Give, give the kids a bath. Gifts. Listen, husbands, a spa gift card for a massage will go a long way. The women say amen. Flowers, dinner out. Find what speaks to her heart, what makes her feel loved, and then give her that kind of love. So let me just real quick say, here's an example of the things that John does for me. At night, since I was diagnosed with cancer, he comes to my side of the bed he takes my hand, gives me a kiss, and he prays for me. I feel cherished. He is a gardener and grows beautiful flowers in the garden, and he will often go out and pick a bouquet of flowers from the garden and bring them in to me. He texts me. I travel a lot, and when I'm gone and out of the country or somewhere ministering, he will send me a text that just says, I'm proud of you. And, and, and now listen, ladies, you know what he does most nights? He rubs my feet. But I do have to say that's partly selfish motivated because I want her to rub mine too. And if she's distracted, I told her, I tell her that she forgot the other foot. Yeah. For the didn't. third time. For the third time. All right, let's move along here. That was the second principle. Third principle, what did Paul tell wives? Now, I want you to listen here because there's five biblical principles he's talking for family life. And the first one was husbands love your wife. But then I believe this section on, on uh, marriage begins in verse 21. Verse 21 says this. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
In other words, if you'll go back and look at the context, he's giving a, a series of exhortations to the Christian, and one, the last one happens to be submit to one another. Now, you remember when God created Eve, he didn't create her from Adam's foot to be her boss, to, to be her, you know, so she could be the slave. He didn't create her from his head so she could rule over him. He created her from a rib, meaning that they're side by side, they're equal partners. And here, this exhortation, we as Christians are supposed to submit one to another. The word submission simply means yield your will, that you don't always have to have it your way. Uh, we're to submit to his Christians, but then he specifically says to the wife, wives, this means submit to your husbands as the Lord. Now, this is so misunderstood what this means. To, this is where people fold their hands because they've been abused or taken advantage of or seen an old show called Archie Bunker All in the Family or something. This is not what we're talking about. But notice that phrase, ladies, as to the Lord. That if, well, for me, if, if I do something sacrificial for my wife or, or it was, I don't know how to say this, but it was a little harder to love her with cancer. Because rather than going duck hunting, somebody need to clean the house. L love is a choice, see, and I'm yielding myself to her will and, and, and to her needs. But when I do it as, as unto the Lord, I'm not just doing it because she has a need. I'm doing it because it pleases Jesus. And, 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 and the Lord would, listen, the Lord would never tell us to do anything that was bad for us. So when he says, wives, submit to your husband, and she'll talk about that. And then verse 23, this really makes people crazy. The husband is the head of his wife. What in the world does that mean? He's the head of the home. Well, now, I'm old enough to remember the height of the feminist movement and to remember when the Southern Baptist Convention in their, you know, they write out their doctrinal beliefs, and they included this idea of wives submitting to your husbands. They went ballistic. So this verse makes people, it ranges all the way from being practiced in a biblical way that brings a stronger family to being misunderstood, to being radically rejected. The head of the home in our vernacular suggests the president or the CEO of the company. I am not the president of the Miller Corporation. She is not, it, it, listen, if I wanted a maid, I would have hired a maid. I didn't marry Linnell to be a maid. I didn't marry her to be a cook, though she does great in both ways. She does her stuff. I do mine in marriage. I married a partner to share life with. And the head of the home means that, listen, guys, we are responsible for what happens in our home. Now, what do I mean by that? I'm not responsible to, to hold the, be the keeper of the remote control. It means if there's not enough money in the home and somebody's got to work extra hours or get an extra job, it's going to be me before it's her. That, that if the children are, are going down a wayward path and they're having problems and need some special discipline, it's my job. I, I'm not just going to say, honey, take care of those kids. That I'm going to assume a responsibility to make sure our home is in order. That's, that's a biblical understanding. So again, he's mentioned several things. He said, husband, love your wife, submit to Submit to your husband is to the Lord. Uh, the husband is the head of the home. And verse 33 is kind of humorous. It says, the wife must respect her husband. The Amplified Translation says, notice him, prefer him, praise him, love and admire him exceedingly. Now, why in the world would you do that? Let me give you a little clue, ladies. 
your husband still needs the cheerleader that he did when he was playing football in the 12th grade. You say, well, I don't do anything. Your wife, the lady may say, well, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't do anything. You don't know my husband. I mean, you know, he doesn't make any money. If you'll tell him, honey, I looked at all the yards in our street today, and our grass looks better. You have cut our grass. That's his thing. He's been in his yard and flowers. You have cut our grass. It looks like the Atlanta Braves ball stadium. And your little husband is going to go. And you just might find, ladies, he may be a little more loving if you're a little more honoring. Just an idea. And that works two ways. You got quiet on me. Now, let me first tell you, before my wife explains all this, what submission is not. Have you seen the movie Father of the Bride, part two? It's an older movie, but it's hilarious. Well, in part one, George's daughter gets married, 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 married. In part two, his daughter has a baby. So in part two, they're going to sell their house, and this guy comes up to try to buy his house with the realtor and his wife. And I want you to see the way he treats his wife. He's a male chauvinist. This is not what biblical submission is. Take a peek here. George, I'd like you to meet Mr. and Mrs. Habib. Hello, how do you do? Nice to meet you. This is my son, Maddie, and his friend, Justin. We like house very much. When you can move out. Excuse me? The Habibs would like to buy the house, George. It's exactly what they've been looking for. It's when you can move. We need house away from wedding day. And my wife wants flower dishes in kitchen. You sell, we pay top dollar. For the house top dollar? <laughs> dishes. For the dishes. For the house, we pay what you ask, no more. But we need the house a week from Wednesday or no deal. See, that's, uh, that's 10 days from now. It's kind of quick. We've lived here 18 years. I don't know if we can get everything. <laughs> that is not submission, what we're talking about. Excuse me, please. Mr. Habib is willing to pay a generous bonus for whatever inconvenience moving too quickly may cause you, George. I sold the house. Well, congratulations, Gramps. Where are you moving? Well, we don't know exactly for sure where yet, but uh, we're thinking of maybe the beach. We don't know exactly for sure where yet, but George, we haven't even started looking. You sold the house? Dad, why is she crying? Well, wow. <laughs> I guess I just assumed we'd have a little more warning, but what do we have? We have at least 90 days before we have to move. Am I right, George? Oh, believe me, Nina, you can jack up an escrow six months if you need. Uh, George? The guy paid me $15,000 extra to be out in 10 days. The guy paid you $15,000 extra to be out of the house in 10 days? I hope you took it, George. He did, and he threw in Mom's favorite dishes just to close the deal. <laughs> George! Mackay Kalem! Okay, look at your neighbor and say, Mahai Kalem is not in the Bible. Mahai Kalem is not in the Bible. <laughs> uh, again, submission is yielding our will to another person. We both submit to one another. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Husband, she is your equal partner. partner. She is your equal partner in God's gift of life, uh, uh, so you should treat her. And let me say this. Paul is not saying a woman submit to any man only her husband a wife does not submit to her husband because he's smarter or stronger 
It's not superiority and inferiority. It is simply as as to the Lord is one of those things in life that just like God wants us to respect civil authority when we drive our cars, he wants us, this, is a, this has to do with a, with a biblical order in the home. Okay, so what does it mean to submit to your husband? So wives, submission is an attitude. And it's an attitude of humility. It's an attitude of I'm not always right and I don't always know best, but I'm going to choose to trust God says, submit as unto the Lord. I'm choosing to trust God and that God will work on my husband's heart, that if he's wrong, if he's going in, the, in, in a bad direction, that God will change him. Because ultimately, if I choose to submit with a good attitude and he makes a bad choice, he's going to stand before God and be accountable, and God's going to protect me. So submission is a place of protection, but also as a couple that loves God, we choose to never make a decision unless we're in agreement. If in the moment we just don't see eye to eye, we table it and we pray over it. And then we ask God to change our heart and our mind. But if I in turn need to at a time submit and trust God that he can talk to my husband, I do. And so it's an attitude, an attitude of humility. Well, are there limits to a wife's submission? Yes. It does not say wives obey your husbands. Obedience is action. Submission is an attitude. And if your husband were to ever ask you to do something immoral, unlawful, uh, unscriptural, or against your conscience, wives, you can still submit and not obey. You can have a good attitude. You can have a heart of humility and say, honey, I know what you're asking me to do, but this goes against my conscience. And I love you, but I cannot do this. So obedience is conditional. Even if the husband's not a Christian? Yeah. Second Peter, 1 Peter 3, 1 says, in the same way, you wives must submit to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe God's word, your conduct will win them over to believe. It will not be necessary for you to say a word because they will see how pure and reverent your conduct is. Okay, say this to husbands. What should a husband do if his wife is not submissive? Should, I mean, should he just say, Mahikalim? <laughs> it doesn't work. What will work, what will work is for you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Focus on what you need to do. Pray for her. You need to do your part. Just like the wife can submit to her husband and she can't make him love her. We focus on what God requires of us and then we trust God to do the work that he needs to do in our spouse's life. Okay, let me say one last thing. Uh, I, I do not believe that a woman or a man, as far as that goes, that should live in a home where, of, where violence is. If there's what what's we call domestic violence or if the children are being abused, my advice is that has nothing to do with biblical submission. You you know, he's overstepped his bounds or vice versa. There's some pretty crazy women out there today. <laughs> you step away. That doesn't mean you divorce at that moment, but you separate and get some help, and hopefully in separation you can work out that problem. But submission does not imply you need to be somebody's to be beat up. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. Give Linnell a good hand. Didn't she do good? Hey, wait. wait, wait we forgot to talk about sex. Uh, Malik Lee. 
Malik Kaleem to you. Let me, uh, let me, get, let me wrap this up now with our last principle. Uh, four big ones again. Uh, the last first was commitment. Then the husband was to love. The wife was to honor and submit. This one, love is more than words. It's the way we act. Now, I want you to just let this sink in just a second. It's more than words. It's how we act. How many know if you're in the backseat of the car and the windows are fogged up, I love you means let's have sex. How many know if your spouse has been in a car wreck, had some kind of surgery, cancer surgery, and it deformed the side of her face, and you married her because she was so beautiful, but yet you say, I love you. What that means is my love is unconditional. I love you anyway. I love you in spite of what happened to you. And let me help you understand this biblically. There were three words in the Greek culture uh, of the New Testament that described the word love. We all, just like Linnell said, we love hamburgers, you know, we love our spouse, and we love baseball. Um, their first word was the word eros. We get the English word erotic in the New Testament, but it's the first, it, it, it was in the Greek culture. But it's amazing that our culture has tied love to this whole world, whole word eros. Now, again, the Bible is very much pro-sexual intimacy between a husband and wife in a committed relationship. God's design. I mean, you don't have to think about it too much to know. God designed it that way for pleasure and for children. But he put boundaries around it, and the world will take us in a 30-minute sitcom. From We look at one another. We like each other. The next 10-minute segment, we're in bed together, and the minutes uh, uh, segment he's looking for the next person that he can do that with in the next episode that's kind of eros now the two words that do apply to marriage to us is the one is phileo which this is a love that is more based on feelings and emotions I really like it when you make spaghetti and meatballs. You know, I really like it when you wash my car. Or I really like it when you rub my feet or whatever. It's that, it's that friendship attraction part of us, and it's a part of it. The only problem with that is, let's say uh, 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 you're golfing buddies, and, uh, you know, you both hit a title as one, and uh, one ball goes farther, and uh, you're convinced it's yours that went farther, and he's convinced it's his, and uh, for whatever reason... You know, he paid for the cart, so you let him hit the farther ball. Well, the next time he hits the ball, it's in the rough, and he's looking for it, and you find it, and you see it, and you go. Because you're not playing mulligans and, you know, fix your lie. you got to hit it where it is. You see, friendship, love, phileo is conditional. As long as you do your part, I'll do mine. But if you stop doing your part, and that's why many marriages fall apart today. But the third kind of love is what I want to leave you with today. It's the, what the Bible calls agape love. Agape love is unconditional. Uh, agape love means it's kind and giving without asking for anything in return. That's big. It is committed to doing good for the other person no matter what they do. So this is a love by choice, not based on feelings, not based on moods. How many know John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his son. That's agape love. Scripture says, husbands, love your wife. What is that? It's agape love. 
And if we will focus on that kind of agape love with the help of the Holy Spirit, I can guarantee you marriage will be better, it'll be happy, it'll be filling, fulfilling, come on now, and you will enjoy what is God intended. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Always a good sign when the band comes up. Don't turn me off yet and don't think about where you're going to lunch just yet. I want to do something special. If you're married today, husband and wife, I want you to hold hands and both hands now. So put down your coffee cup or whatever, both hands, and I'm going to look at you to look at one another. If you're single, you can hold your own hand, okay? I don't want to leave you out. But I want you to look at each other, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13. And it's simply a passage of Scripture that says what agape love is. Let me read this to you. It says, love is patient. Now look in the eyes. Patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. Love is not rude. Here's a big one. Love does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. Here's another one. It keeps no record of being wrong. Why? Because we forgive. Verse 7, culmination, love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful, and it endures every circumstance. Love never fails. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the Contact Us tab of the house website. We hope you have a great week.